do 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 Hello and welcome to the Almost Enlightened Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Morin, and this, of course, is a show about whatever I want. And I suppose I could probably have said the new tagline is a show about whenever I want, because I'm producing this show on a Thursday morning really early before the rest of my family gets up, because I'm inspired, because I feel like it. Oh, and also because the guy who edits my show is on vacation. And so this gives me a rare opportunity to produce a show for you that is unscripted, that is a little bit different than what I've been doing in the past. And as you know, I produced one yesterday. I think I called it The Beauty of Shells. And it was another inspired show, different than my other ones, cathartic for me. I think I needed it was an interesting experience, and I enjoyed the experience. I enjoyed it so much that I want to make another show for you today, and I want to do it in the same manner as I did yesterday, which is off the cuff. So this show today, I think loosely speaking, is going to be about plants. It's going to be about trees, and specifically, I'm going to drill it down to the cacao tree, and then I'm going to talk about connectedness, the connectedness of nature. And then finally, I think I'm going to relate that to the connectedness of human beings and the potentiality of how we might truly be more connected than we think we are. At least that's where I think I'm going to go. So let's, let's see what happens as I, as I ream this one off. So this is the show that I began writing a week ago. I had written about three quarters of this show and I'm going to ditch that script. I'm going to ditch it in favor of just telling you the way I feel it. And so that means that all of my scientific research, well, you won't hear the exact facts and the exact statistics that I, that I pulled up and found and really delighted in, in finding. But that's okay. You're going to get the gist of it. You're going to understand what I was thinking and why I was building this show. So why don't we launch right into it? Why am I going to talk about cacao? Well, I'm going to talk about it because it's become pretty dear to my family. My wife, Sarah, who you've met in quotation marks in previous episodes, is so awesome. And she spends some time on Facebook. She advertises her business on there and uses it socially. And once upon a time, she came across an article And that article talked about different plant medicines, something that our family is very interested in. One of those plant medicines happened to be cacao. And if you're wondering what cacao is, and if I'm really talking about cocoa, um, those words are interchanged quite often. I am talking about cacao, the tree that grows primarily in Central America. I know it's not called Central America these days, but in countries like Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Ecuador, Peru, uh, these types of countries. And any, in any event, she found this article talking about plant medicine, specifically talking about cacao, and this article was espousing the virtues of cacao and actually drinking it, taking these, uh, these tablets of cacao that are reconstituted, not reconstituted, but, but made into a paste and then sent to North America, and then we dissolve them in water. 
Uh, they're pure. There's no sugar added. There's there's no additives. There's absolutely nothing. It's as pure as it gets. They're they're taken right off of the tree, and I'll explain that in a few moments in terms of how they do that, and then roasted, and uh, and then you mix it with water, very similar to what you would do with with a a finished coffee bean, I imagine. Not that I'm a coffee drinker, but um, but I would imagine in, in in much the same way. In any event, this article talks about and talked about how wonderful this plant medicine, they would call it, is. It's got antioxidants. I believe the statistic is that it's got 10 times more antioxidants than blueberries have. And on a spiritual level, it's a heart opener. Uh, it does all kinds of wonderful things. So my wife decided that she would find a source for this and she found it in a little company called I Love Cacao and started bringing in cacao to our house. And for quite some time, Sarah would drink this and was telling me how much she enjoyed it, how much she loved it. And after some time, I thought, heck, you know, if she enjoys it that much, I should probably really try this stuff. But again, not being a coffee drinker, I'm not used to drinking a beverage in the morning. I'm not used to making a tea or a coffee. So this was kind of a new thing for me. Well, Sarah started making them for me, and she taught me a little bit about how she drinks it, and I've taken on her ritual, and let me share that ritual. When she makes it, she makes it with love. She puts her energy into making it. That is to say that she takes this cacao, takes beautiful filtered water, and mixes the two at a certain temperature. She's careful not to boil the water because she doesn't want to spoil the cacao, I think she makes it the same way you make green tea, which is at a certain temperature. And I don't know if that temperature is 90 degrees Fahrenheit. It seems to me it was somewhere around there. In any event, she mixes this drink, then pours it into a mug of some sort, puts her hands around the mug. I've seen her do it a million times. I love the way she does it. Feels the warmth of that cup, transfers that warmth energy into her body, smells the cacao, spends some time with it, appreciating it, appreciating where it came from, appreciating all of those aromas, those natural aromas hitting her nostrils and affecting those senses. And then she takes a sip and she attempts to feel the rainforest and feel the tree from whence it came. And then I suppose she swallows that, ingests it, brings it into her body, and attempts to bring all the beauty of what cacao embodies for her into her being. And I was so inspired by her doing this that I was curious about it. Sarah, can I try that too? And of course, she would make me a cup. And the first time I tried it, it was an interesting experience. The cacao that I tasted, I think at first was Nicaraguan. And it was somewhat bitter, but very beautiful. I loved the aroma. It did indeed smell like chocolate. And if you don't know, cacao is what's used to make chocolate. That is good chocolate, beautiful dark chocolate, the kind that I love. 
and it's got that smell. So you smell it. Ooh, this smells great. It smells like holiday time. You know when you have a hot chocolate. But then when you take a taste, it's nothing like a hot chocolate. You know, we're so used to this this version that we buy that's laden with chemicals and sugars and all kinds of additives, I would imagine. And you taste it, and it's somewhat bitter, but it's tasty. It's got a beautiful, beautiful taste. And I attempted to do what Sarah does so often, really enjoy it, bring it into my body, feel the rainforest, ooh, feel everything about it. And I shared that spiritual experience. And ever since, I've been hooked on the actual drink. I've been hooked on this bean. And I love it. I really, really do love it. I love the drink now. I can't get enough of it. And I love the experience. It's more of an experience for me. It does open my heart, perhaps because I let it open my heart, perhaps because I believe it to open my heart. What do I mean by that? I mean that when I have it in the morning, it sets the tone for the day for me. I imagine how natural it is. I imagine those natural fats working their way through my body, cleaning my body. And I imagine an openness. These trees grow naturally in the rainforest under the canopy of beautiful big palm trees, sometimes banana trees. And I visualize that, I see that, I bring that into my body, that whole experience, that beautiful community experience. And I feel my heart open up. And I imagine the creativity that's gonna bring throughout the day as I launch into my business endeavors. It's a wonderful way to start my day. And so one of the things that Sarah's done with this is that she started hosting cacao ceremonies and they're somewhat spiritual. She'll do it on a, on a Zoom call, on some kind of video call. And typically she'll get between 5, 10, 15 people on a call. And they'll go through the ritual of drinking it, talking about it. And typically Sarah will lead the group on a group meditation. And recently she asked me, Alex, would you like to participate with me? Would you like to, would you like to co-host one of these with me? And of course I would. <laughs> I love to support my wife and I, I love to do those kinds of things. I had attended one of her ceremonies before and I thought it was spectacular. So what the heck would I do? What would my part be? Well, I'm the researcher. I'm the guy who likes to dig into things and find out where things come from, how they work. And so this last cacao ceremony that was held this past weekend coincided with a full moon here in North America. It's a rare full moon, apparently called the, the blue moon, the, the sturgeon blue moon. And Sarah likes to do the cacao events on full moons. And my role was gonna be to do a little discussion, a little learning discussion. I could pick whatever I wanted. And so I thought, heck, 
why don't I speak about wisdom? Why don't I speak about knowledge? Because when I think of this cacao tree, I think of knowledge. I think of wisdom. I love trees. They speak to me. I think I've told you on previous episodes how often I love to go out to my backyard and just look at the trees, stare at them, half hour at a time doing nothing but looking at the trees. Oh, there's so much beauty in them. So anyways, my idea was to talk about knowledge and wisdom. So I started my research. What is the cacao tree? Where does it grow? What does it do? How is it harvested? What does it look like? Well, here's what I learned. I learned that the cacao tree, its formal name is Theobroma. I think that's what it's called. And I learned that it's part of the Mallows family, which is a species of tree of which there are about 4,000-some species. Isn't that incredible? 4,000-some species. And they're all somewhat different and some quite radically different. In that family is actually cotton. In that family is actually okra, in addition to cacao. And they grow in the rainforest, like I said, and they don't grow super tall. I think they grow between 12 and 24 feet, something like that, which is not too much taller than me. I'm six feet. So if you think about the small ones, they're about twice the size of me. That's not a huge tree, is it? And this particular tree doesn't have very deep roots. The roots don't go way, way, way into the ground, which is perfect for this little tree because if the tree was any taller and it was subject to the wind, those shallow roots wouldn't really anchor it and it would just fall over. And that's why it takes protection from those tall trees in the rainforest. They're the ones that block the wind. Isn't that wild? Isn't that cool cooperation? Oh, I love it. I absolutely love the way these trees live together. So they have these shallow roots. It's a beautiful looking tree. Got all kinds of branches. It's beautiful bark. And then on that tree, flowers grow. And normally, flowers are pollinated by bees, but in the case of this particular tree and this, these particular flowers, they're pollinated by tiny little flies. And eventually, the tree grows these pods. And those pods range from anywhere from about, I'd say, an inch and a quarter to three inches wide to anywhere from seven to 14 inches long. They're, they're quite long and, and big, these pods. And inside these pods is the cacao covered by a creamy substance. And after some time, these pods are collected, they're harvested. And according to ancient tradition, they're roasted. The Mayans have been using cacao, harvesting cacao for ever, and it's gone through that entire lineage and preserved today and harvested and roasted much the same way that it was harvested and roasted back in the Mayan times. And in fact, 
the tree was so special and the cacao beans so special to the civilization that they were used as currency, believe it or not. Isn't that interesting? So, so valued and so prized that it was virtually money. I find that fascinating. I find that interesting. In any event, they harvest this stuff. And the place that my wife's been getting it from, I love cacao. And this is not an advertisement for the company by any stretch of the imagination, although I love the company. Um, they're, they're sure to source it from sustainable places. I know of one place that's, that's women only, women that work together in a beautiful environment. They're paid fairly. They use ancient techniques. And man, that sings to my heart. And talk about ingesting this beautiful plant medicine or this beautiful drink. I can feel it. I can feel the community. I can feel these beautiful women who are working together in a spirit of love as they harvest, as they roast, as they package and send away these beautiful beans. So this is the story behind cacao in terms of what it is, where it's harvested. But what I decided to talk about in this cacao ceremony, what I'll talk to you about today, is this theory or this, this knowledge, sorry, this knowledge of interconnectedness. And it's not limited to the cacao tree. I'm talking about all trees. I read an interesting article in the Smithsonian Magazine about two weeks ago as I began preparing for the episode that I was going to read to you, but now I'm just saying to you with eyes closed. And it spoke a lot about forests, about trees, and the interconnectedness of the trees. And in a previous episode, I talked about the mycorrhizal network. This is the network of fungus under the ground that connects trees. And I'm going to expand upon that today and talk about how these trees are connected. Because once upon a time, we believed that trees fought for resources, that trees were solitary beings, fending for themselves, growing, attempting to find the sunlight so that they can synthesize it and turn that sunlight energy into sugars. But what we're discovering today, and many scientists are discovering, is that trees are unbelievably connected. Connected in ways that we had no idea through that mycorrhizal network. Some call it the world wood web. <laughs> I think that's so wild. And here's the way it works. A tree has roots. And at the end of those roots, they become very fine, fine like hairs. And the fungus attaches itself to the end of those roots, those fine, fine hairs, to fine, fine fungal networks. In fact, I'm told, and my research tells me, that if you were to take a teaspoon of soil from a fertile forest There's miles of fungal network in that one teaspoon. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't that beautiful? And it's through these networks 
that the trees share resources and actually communicate. We're just beginning to learn this. Incredible, isn't it? So how does it work? I'm told, and what I found out in researching here, is that the fungus takes nutrients from the earth, takes phosphorus, takes nitrogen, and it shares those with the trees, something that the trees need in order to thrive and in order to grow. And in return, in this beautiful symbiotic relationship, the trees take those sugars they produce, and the fungus consumes about 30% of those sugars so that it too can grow and it, could, it too can do its job of taking those nutrients from the soil and sharing it with the trees. What's fascinating about these networks is that trees can actually share resources through the fungal network. For instance, as a giant tree drops its seeds and another tree is born, it's now in a fight for its life. It doesn't have the resources to reach way up into the sky to reach the sun and take that energy. It gets a lot of its energy from underground. And you know where it gets it from? It gets it from what we'll call the mother trees. The big, tall, established trees. These mother trees that share, share nutrients share food, share life. And evidence also shows that these mother trees actually favor their offspring. So they do share it with even different species of trees, but they'll share it with their offspring. And scientists have been able to demonstrate that the ones that are suffering, they're sent nutrients from these mother trees. To use humanistic terms, these mother trees are so revered that even when they're chopped down or even when they die, the rest of the forest, the rest of the roots from other trees continue to attempt to feed it. And there have been instances where people have looked inside the stumps of these trees that have been cut for years and there's still chlorophyll running through the stumps. Is that not incredible? How is that happening? It's happening because other trees are still feeding it, still attempting to keep it alive. It's unbelievable. There's a whole life going on underneath the ground. Let's expand upon those mother trees for a second. I also discovered that some of these trees, these massive, massive trees that have such deep roots, they connect with the water table and they're so important to our ecosystem. They can spread tens of thousands of gallons of water a year, a year from the ground. Is that not incredible? I marvel at that. I marvel at the cycle. Who'd have known? I don't know. I guess if you studied plants, you'd know that. <laughs> I didn't. But isn't that incredible how they live with one another, how they share with one another? 
to use humanistic terms again, they also communicate with one another. Let's say they speak to one another in ways that we're just beginning to discover. I'll share one way that I find fascinating. We've all heard of infestation these days. We live in a global world in which we bring all kinds of pests into forests. And in some instances, in some forests, you've got caterpillars that will actually ravage a forest. But our trees are resilient. Our trees are extremely intelligent. And I learned of one instance in which these caterpillars would eat the leaves of the trees and devastate them if left unchecked. And you know what these trees did? These trees sensed the caterpillar. And what I read was that they actually understood the saliva from the caterpillar. So you could say that the trees actually taste the caterpillar. They recognize it. They know it's on its leaves and that it's eating its leaves. Incredible, isn't it? And as a result, it mobilizes. It starts to defend itself. And it does that by producing a pheromone. And that pheromone attracts wasps. The wasps smell this pheromone. They come raging into the forest. Where's this tree? Where's that smell? They find it. And the caterpillar is a beautiful host for their eggs. And so they start laying their eggs on these caterpillars from which the larvae comes, and the larvae starts eating the caterpillars from the inside out, destroying them, getting rid of them. Is that not genius? Is that not incredible? That the tree protects itself? That it communicates with nature, it communicates with the bees, the wasps? And the wasps come and they do their thing and they eliminate these predators, these caterpillars that are eating the trees, the eating the leaves. What a cycle. What a beautiful cycle. Holy smokes. I'm going to give you another example because it just fascinates me. I'm sure you've all seen pictures of the beautiful acacia tree in Africa. Gorgeous, gorgeous, iconic tree. Grows anywhere from 20 to 40 feet. Big, tall, majestic tree at 40 feet. Ooh, it's got beautiful branches, thorns on it. Gorgeous canopy. You see them in the sub-Saharan savanna in countries like Tanzania and Kenya. And among other creatures that love to eat the leaves of this tree are giraffe beautiful giraffe. They love the leaves of the acacia tree. They're herbivores, of course, these giraffes, and that's what they eat. There's tons of nutrients in the leaves. In any event, if the giraffes were left unchecked, they would eat all the leaves. They love these things. <laughs> but the acacia tree has to survive, and so it's got an interesting mechanism that allows it to survive. 
When a giraffe starts eating it, much like the caterpillar that was eating the leaves of the other trees, the acacia tree will recognize that it's being eaten by the giraffe. And it'll produce tannins in the leaves that begin to give the leaves a bitter taste. And it's a warning to the giraffes, don't eat me. This is going to hurt your stomach. And indeed, these tannins do hurt the stomachs of giraffes. It'll make them sick if they consume a fair amount of them. And it can even kill some herbivores if they eat enough of these leaves with tannins in them. It's a remarkable mechanism to dissuade giraffes from eating the entire tree and all of its leaves. But what's really interesting about the tannins that are put into the leaves is that at the same time as this is happening, through pores in the leaves, the tree is emitting and putting out ethylene gas. Ethylene gas, Alex? Really? What are you talking about? Oh, it's magnificent. I got to tell you about this. So this ethylene gas travels for about 50 to 100 yards. Incredible. It's a warning system. It warns the other acacia trees nearby that, hey, you're about to be eaten, dude. And so these leaves and these acacia trees start to produce tannins as well. So if the giraffe were to go to the next tree and start eating, oh, I'll go to this tree, okay. The tree's wise to my moves over here. It knows I'm eating it. It'll go to the next one and nope, tannins are in those leaves. Darn it anyways, smart acacia trees. I can't eat you now. But giraffes are wise. They know what the acacia tree is doing. And so they've got two things they'll do to outsmart the acacia tree. They'll actually eat downwind, which means that when the acacia tree produces this ethylene gas, the wind's going to keep blowing down. And the giraffe are going to move into the wind so that the message isn't conveyed to those other trees that are upwind. Tannins haven't been produced in those leaves yet. And so the giraffe get to keep on eating. So what happens when it's not windy? Well, when it's not windy, like I said, that ethylene gas will travel anywhere from 50 to 100 yards, but the giraffe knows this. And it can eat the leaves for about 20 to 30 minutes until they become too bitter and too filled with tannins. And you'll see the giraffe tree leave the acacia tree after about 20 to 30 minutes. And in an environment where there's no wind, it'll actually move, you got it, a hundred yards away to the next tree that did not receive the ethylene message. And it'll begin eating there. So I, I tell you that story because I find it so gorgeous. I find it so beautiful that giraffe and acacia trees coexist. That in order to thrive and in order to survive, the tree's got to come up with a defense mechanism and communicate that to its fellow trees. And in order to survive, the giraffe has to understand and appreciate what's actually happening with these trees. They're connected. You could say they understand the same language in much the same way that the trees I was just talking about in the previous example understand one another based on the mycorrhizal network that's connected underneath the earth. 
oh, it's fascinating stuff. And so the talk I gave on cacao was about trees, was about roots, was about knowledge. Because there seems to be a knowledge inherent in nature that perhaps we've lost as human beings. And one of my goals here at the Almost Enlightened podcast is to rediscover that knowledge, is to seek, is to journey, is to find what I know is there, which is infinite wisdom, infinite knowledge, connectedness, love, energy, all of it. And I see it in nature. And in fact, we are nature. I'm going to butcher this quote, but as I was doing research for the last episode, I came across a quote by Edmund Burke, the 18th century philosopher, economist, statesman. And I think that quote went something like this. Never, no never, did nature say one thing and wisdom say another. Never, no never, did nature say one thing and wisdom say another. Oh, man, that spoke to me when I read that. Oh, it spoke to me. It brings me to tears just to think about it because it's so beautiful. It's so true. Nature and wisdom don't divert. They speak the same language. They're one and the same. Nature is wisdom. And nature is everything around us. Nature are those trees that I was just talking about. Nature is the earth on which those trees grow, in which those trees grow. Nature is the earth upon which we walk. Nature is our mother. I learned that the universe apparently is four and a... No, 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 sorry, I'm sorry. That's wrong. I learned that the earth is four and a half billion years old. Four and a half billion years old, according to scientists. That's pretty old. I'm also told that humans have been around, or at least our human ancestors have been around for five to seven million years. That's a snap of the finger in relation to how long the earth has been around, isn't it? Incredible. The point being that the earth is nature. The earth is spectacular spectacular in all its glory has been around, they say, for four and a half billion years. It's perfect. It's wisdom. It's nature. And I got to thinking as I was preparing that talk on cacao that we are a product of the earth, us human beings. Whether you believe in creation or whether you believe in evolution or something in between, we're from here, man. All the ingredients that you find on earth are found in us. We share the same DNA as all species, at least a percentage of it, on the earth. It's marvelous, it's incredible. It touches my heart every time I think about it. 
That's us. We are the earth. We're as natural as the trees. We're as intelligent as the trees. And yet we seek to find our information on the internet. We seek to find our information in books. And there's a lot of it to be found in those two places. There's no question about it. I'm a fan of technology to some degree. But I'm more interested in our capabilities as human beings. The giraffe knows what the acacia tree is doing. If we lived in a forest, we would understand better what was actually happening on our planet. Since quitting my corporate job, I've begun to discover those types of things, see those types of things, feel those types of things. And I learn about some of them through research. But a lot of it's just observation, intuition. Sometimes my intuition leads me in the right place, and sometimes I'm dead wrong. So let's have some fun here for the rest of this episode. Two episodes ago, in the Almost Enlightened podcast, in the episode that was called, What's Mind is Yours?, I was talking about fields, Rupert Sheldrake, Dr. Rupert Sheldrake's theory of morphic resonance and how every particle has a field around it. And it's possible that knowledge is stored in that field, that it's there, that it's accessible, that things grow according to the habits that are found in that field. It's a controversial theory. I'm aware of that. But I think there's something to it. And I have a feeling that the same way in which trees are connected under the ground through the mycorrhizal network, we are connected. Perhaps it's through a field. Perhaps it's through something that I have yet to imagine. But I just have this knowingness. Because I've often felt it with the people that I love. A knowingness. An absolute knowingness. About what somebody is feeling, what they're attempting to communicate. I felt it with my wife quite often. She'll say something to me. But she needn't have said it because I understood before how she felt. That was the truth. Less so than the words. It was the feeling I would get. Or the feeling I do get. And call me crazy. But I think with all the exploration we're doing these days. I really do feel that we will move towards an ability to be somewhat telepathic in the future. And perhaps not the way we see in movies where we're talking to one another with mouths closed, but more from a fundamental level of emotions. I feel what you feel, and that's all I need to feel. 
The rest of it's just nonsense. And that was the episode that I started to write about that I'm not reading to you today. It was really based upon a quote by the late, great Stephen Hawking, who talked about language and communication and how it's such a wonderful thing and how it's allowed us to be connected and advance the world, and it's the most marvelous gift. And I don't disagree. I think that's very valid. But I was going to spend an episode being a contrarian and saying and wondering, has language actually held us back? Has it caused division? Has it just confused the matter? Is the real essence of communication in emotion? Is the real essence of communication not verbal? In the same way that these giraffe know the acacia tree, understand what it's doing. They don't have to talk about it. They feel it. They see it. They taste it. I think there is knowledge all around us. I think there are fields. And I think that that's where our memory is stored. And I think that based on who we are, we access that memory. And who we are is simply a vibration. We are vibrating. Emotion governs the way we vibrate. They say you've got a low vibration when you're angry or jealous or unhappy or mad. They say that your vibration is very high when you're euphoric and joyous and blissful. There's something to that. There is something to that. Because when I am euphoric and joyous and blissful, I see the world that way. We hear of so many people talking about the law of attraction. What does that mean? Is it nothing more than simply being a vibration? Than being in a certain state and seeing the world in that certain state? It's not so much attraction as it is being a vibration and seeing what's in that resonance. I think there's something there. I think there's something there. Yeah, I really do. All that to say that when I was talking about cacao and doing that ceremony, I wanted to let people know that we're equally as magnificent as the cacao tree that grows. That we have an ability to communicate as effectively as those massive trees do with their partners all over the forest. 
Today we do it through language. Today we do it through the internet. But I think that's changing. I think people are loving more these days. I'm seeing beautiful groups emerge. Sometimes because of this pandemic that we're in, we're using technology to build these beautiful ceremonies like Sarah does in her cacao ceremony and share love, share energy. And what I experienced last weekend when we did the cacao ceremony was beyond words. Sure, the ceremony went for an hour and a half and we did a meditation and I did a little talk on wisdom. We drank some cacao. We shared our experiences. But the real experience, what the real experience was beyond those things. It was a feeling, it was an energy. That's the kind of connectivity I'm talking about. I believe that's the kind of connectivity we find in the earth, under the ground, in all the plants, in all the kingdoms. I choose to see the beauty. I choose to feel the beauty. I don't know that I have much else to say today. But I really enjoyed this episode. I really enjoyed doing it the way that I'm doing it right now. That is with my eyes closed, from the heart, going where it takes me. It occurred to me this morning before I got up out of bed, as I was thinking in bed, that I'd like to share with you my Instagram page so that you can connect further with me. My Instagram page is Almost Enlightened Inc. And the other platform I use is LinkedIn. You can find me, Alex Morin, on LinkedIn. And you'll get to see a little bit more. You'll get a few more insights. You'll see a bit more of a business side or a professional side on the LinkedIn platform. And you'll see some imagery on my Almost Enlightened Inc. Instagram page that speaks a little bit to who I am, who my family is, where I get my inspiration from. And if you ever want to reach out, please do so. I'd be honored to communicate with you. My email address is alex at almostenlightened.life alex at almostenlightened.life however what I have discovered is that this suffix dot life 
isn't really recognized to a lot of people or a lot of programs. And so if you write me, I will typically get your answer, but then I'll send back an answer and it'll go into your spam folder. So you may send me something and think, man, that Alex is a real jerk. He doesn't write me back. I always do. Anyone who's ever written me, I've written them back. And I just want you to know that uh, if you don't hear from me, it's probably because it ended up in your spam folder. So do check the spam folder if you decide to write me. Hmm. What a week. What an interesting week with no editor. What a different way of doing a podcast, for me anyways. So that's it. I'm not going to ramble on. Do 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 Hey, thanks for listening today. And always know that I appreciate you.